So, tomorrow, here in America, we celebrate the day as Independence Day. And that's the day in 1776 when representatives of the original 13 colonies signed the Declaration of Independence, claiming that the colonies were independent of Great Britain. Notice that we do not celebrate the day that the colonies actually became free. That was the day that the Revolutionary War ended. Do you even know what day that was? I didn't. (laughs) I only know July 4th, 1776. What we celebrate is the intention to be free. I think it's very interesting. So there's something very right about this. So we recognize in some way that the, uh, the potent moment is the moment when we make the decision, the intention, the resolution to be free. So likewise, in Buddhist practice, the intention to let go and to renounce our clinging or our bondage is very powerful. And that's actually something to be celebrated long before we're completely free. Don't worry about that. (laughs) But having that intention is really, really good. So I thought I would actually um, offer some quotes from the Declaration of Independence and uh, maybe put a little Buddhist spin on them. So, uh, the beginning contains a very good intention. And you may remember this from your history class, depending what culture you're from. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So it does only say man, that's true. Um, But we begin with the idea that we want to be happy. That was interesting. You know, what if we really declared that what our life was about was being happy? And we can do that in in a superficial way. A lot of people will claim that their life is about being happy. But I think Buddhist practice asks us to be really serious about that, really serious about being happy and to not accept um, partial substitutes that are really just pretending to be happy or that aren't getting to the real causes of happiness. We have to investigate that for ourselves, what really causes happiness. And, you know, trying to get a lot for ourselves turns out isn't really it. So that's a great place to start, start that we want to be happy. Tanisaro Bhikkhu sometimes says that you should actually remember that every time you start to meditate. So every time you sit down, you bring to mind the intention, oh, that's right, I'm not just sitting because this is my time of day to sit or because I'm supposed to sit or because I'm working on something. I sit because I want to be happy and I want other people to be happy. And it's actually just starting from that place. That's another of the wise intentions. It's the intention of loving kindness, of compassion, of renunciation. Ultimately, those are about being genuinely happy. 
Now, the actual Declaration of Independence goes on to uh, consist of a long list of complaints about the tyranny of King George, which I won't read all of. Um, But with some creative reinterpretation, we can think instead about the tyranny of the mind states that we live with. You know, we... um, we live with, broadly speaking, greed, hatred, and delusion in our minds if we're not completely free. And so these lead to the challenges that we encounter. Right? And so in meditation, in our lives, things like runaway thoughts, harmful emotions, harmful intentions, those all spring from the fact that our heart still contains greed, hatred, and delusion. How often do we get pushed around and controlled by these forces in our mind? So we want to throw off the tyrants that are inside. So if these are running your mind and heart at a given time, it's not 24-7, but there are times when that happens, then it's necessary to quote-unquote, abolish them. That was the word used in the Declaration, and find something better. Of course, it may not be easy. Here's another line. All experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. So that's somewhat older English, but it basically says... We would rather stick with a habit that's comfortable but is causing harm than go to the effort of doing something different. Does this sound familiar? You know, it's our favorite, um, you know, I get in the car and I don't know what your habit is, but say you get in the car and that's the time for um, ruminating on how lousy you think your housemate situation is. And... You know, it's not because there was anything particularly wrong that morning, but that's just the habit when you get in the car or something, some such. Um, and when somebody says, well, why don't you think about something else while you're in the car? You know, why don't you, um, you know, set some good intentions for the day or something? And you think, yeah, but I always do that in the car. This is what I like to do in the car. Maybe that's a trivial example. We have stronger ones where basically what we're doing is running through habits. The mind has ruts that it just runs down. And a lot of them we will tolerate. You know, we'll tolerate the suffering in our lives um, of various unwholesome actions and intentions because it seems easier to stay with the status quo of our habits than to actually exert the effort needed to make some, some kind of change. So one thing we can cultivate if we want to think of it that way, is intolerance of suffering. And this has to do with, similar to the task of the First Noble Truth, is to turn toward suffering when we feel it. So if there's a sense of tension or dullness, I mean, the mind often goes into its habit patterns, basically when it gets a little dull. And we brighten the mind up with mindfulness. So... Um, once we start having mindfulness about what's going on in the way we're running our lives and the way we're thinking, then we can't help but see that there are certain patterns that aren't serving us. Basically, 
The Declaration uh, calls this, talking about King George, a long train of abuses and usurpations. So we can see in our own mind that we have a long pattern of abuses and usurpations by greed, hatred, and delusion telling us to do things. And sometimes actually when people start mindfulness practice, they say, this is terrible. I didn't I'm seeing all these terrible things about the way my mind operates. I don't think I wanted to practice mindfulness. It's like, no, 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 wait, wait, just hang with it. Uh, Those were always there, and it's actually better to see them than not to see them. Because when we've seen enough, we will gather the strength, in the Declaration's words, to throw off such despots. So... um, Basically, what mindfulness does is it builds strength of attention. It makes our attention stronger than our habits of mind so that we're able to stay with attention and and observe what's going on. And then um, you'll eventually start to realize that the mindfulness is better than than what's going on there. So we can ask ourselves, what would it take to throw off the tyranny of greed, hatred, and delusion. Actually, somebody somebody gave me this book recently. It's called On Tyranny. Um, This is actually a political manifesto. It's uh, subtitled 20 Lessons from the 20th Century. And a lot of it is actually about um, the most recent election and the potential for moving into tyranny. And it gives examples from when that happened previously and what can be done. Um, This isn't a talk about politics particularly, even though I'm quoting the Declaration of Independence. But if you read this this little pamphlet with a sort of a slant towards the path, um, you'll see that much of the recommendations are about awareness. They're about, you know, pay attention, don't... uh, don't just buy the language that you're being given. Don't um, don't comply with things that don't make sense or that um, you know, are, are changes from what we know to be uh, professional standards of, of behavior. And so, in the same way, we can um, hold the tyrants of our mind to to certain standards and say it's not just you know the the truth is not just created by deciding what's most convenient at the time, or by saying something so many times that it just becomes true, um, there are actually wholesome and unwholesome standards. And they're not anything complicated. Actually, the standard is if it leads towards suffering, it's unwholesome. And if it leads away from suffering, it's wholesome. So that's always the check. There's always the reality check. Is this serving me? Is this leading toward or away from suffering. And I'm talking about our own moment-to-moment experience. Is uh, thinking and brooding about my roommate situation leading toward or away from suffering? It's fairly clear when we think of it that way, when we apply that lens. And it has nothing to do with our housemate. They're not suffering at all for all of our long ruminations about how unhappy we are. So um, we have to make those moment-to-moment decisions and uh, think of more creative ways to respond if we're, if we're just caught in one of these patterns.
So then finally, the Declaration of Independence says that after the tyrannical government has been thrown off, the people should provide new guards for their future security. So I thought that was an interesting line, is that it, um, it adds that, in a, I, you know, of course, in the, in the case of final freedom, we don't need any more guards. The, mind is, the Buddha didn't need things like that. But for the rest of us, when we have temporarily uh, freed ourselves from uh, difficult mind states, it says provide new guards for our future security. What can we do to guard our mind from falling into that again? And I have a few suggestions. Um, one is this quality that's called uh, hiri otapa in Pali, which are actually called the guardians of the world. And they're very nice, actually. They're, um, they're the states that help us keep on track in a very fundamental sense, in a relational sense, and they come out of a sense of respect. That's what I like about them. Hiri is the sense that if we were to behave in a way that was out of line with um, ethical conduct or with maintaining good relationships with people, it's not that we do that because somebody told us to or we would feel guilty or um, we're afraid that we're going to lose our status or that people aren't going to like us. Those are all unwholesome reasons for behaving well. Hiri says that I don't behave unethically because that's below me. I have too much respect for myself. Um, I don't behave in ways that um, uh, kind of dishonor my sincerity in the world and my wish to be um, not cause harm in the world. So out of deep respect for our own way of being, we uh, protect others through behaving well. And then otapa is um, respect for others. So it's, it's that I behave well also um, because I respect you as a fellow human being who um, in every way has the same potential for liberation and if you're treated well and respectfully, that will bring out your wholesome qualities, which will be for your benefit. And so, uh, out of respect for myself and out of respect for you, I would choose always to behave in ways that don't lead to suffering, to the degree possible, of course. You know, the flip side is we can't do that perfectly. And so we have compassion for the times when we fail at that, which is fine, and for other people too. Um, so Hiri Otapa are the guardians of the world, and those are guards for our future security from greed, hatred, and delusion. And then another way of guarding that's actually talked about in the text is called guarding the sense doors, and this is considered a foundation <coughs> of practice. And in, in the suttas that talk about it, it actually says, Guarding the sense doors is a means of experiencing happiness and joy in this very life and laying the foundation for liberation from the taints, from greed, hatred, and delusion. So that's pretty good, right? It's like, who wouldn't want something that leads to happiness and joy in this very life and lays the foundation for liberation? And it turns out what it is, is mindfulness, basically. Guarding the sense doors is a phrase that was used for... Um, just paying attention to what's coming in, because inevitably we're all the time experiencing things, hearing the sense doors are seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and the mind. 
And, you know, unless you're unconscious or dead, you are experiencing stuff all the time. We, to be a human is to have these sensitive sense organs out in the world. And so um, guarding is not necessarily, it doesn't mean like shutting yourself in and, and pushing things away and um, trying to only have certain kinds of input. It actually means um, being very careful just how you respond. There is some degree of controlling the input. You know, you have a choice about whether you play video games for eight hours straight when you go home tonight. I don't recommend it because that's usually not very good for people's sense doors. Um, so we can make some, some choices like that. But, you know, there are cases where we can't, where um, our neighbor's playing loud music or, or we're sick and so we're in pain. You know, we just have stuff that is just happening and we can't control it. And so then guarding the sense doors is about not letting the mind run off on its aversion, or if we're in the donut shop, not letting it run off with greed. And so um, just having some mindfulness about, oh, uh, you know, am I responding well to all these inputs that are coming in? That also guards us from running off on trains of greed, hatred, or delusion. And then finally, uh, the big guns, if you want, um, is to take refuge. So a guard for our security is to take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, and to realize that there are supports around us that we can rely on. So these, um, you know, these we can interpret these in different ways. I, I encourage people to be creative about what Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha mean to them. But some options are that for the Buddha, we think of our awareness, so mindfulness, um, our knowledge, and also just our own potential for awakening. We can take refuge in knowing that we have the potential to be free. It means so much to know that it would be possible. <laughs> it could be possible to be free in this moment. If you don't believe that, how are you going to stand up and be able to, to, to be aware and put mindfulness above fear or hatred or whatever's arising? So that can be a refuge. Some people think of the historical Buddha also. You can, if that's inspiring to you. It can be very inspiring to know that a person who was a human being, the Buddha was just like us, uh, found full awakening. That's pretty cool. So if somebody else can do it, why not some other people like me? So that can be inspiring. And then the Dharma can mean a number of things, but for many people it means the teachings. So we listen to the Dharma, Dharma talks, or reading books, um, watching videos online about the Dharma, and that sort of puts it into our mind. I can't tell you the number of times where something has happened and some teaching has popped into my mind. And it's been very supportive, you know, some line from a book that I read, or a sutta, or a talk, something my teacher said, um, suddenly comes up in a challenging situation, and I think, oh, right, <laughs> right, and I just had to remember a teaching in that moment. So that's just because of having faith in what I hear and exposing myself to it again and again. So taking refuge in the Dharma is to uh, make sure that we take in some Dharma every day, or, or at least frequently. And then the Sangha, of course, is the other folks who are on the path, there's, an, again, a number of meanings of the word sangha. It can refer to the monastic sangha, the people who have 
uh, embodied themselves as practicing the path. That can be very inspiring to know that there are folks who have done that. It can also mean the noble sangha, the people who have had some understanding of the Buddha's teachings, some confirmed confidence that the Dharma is correct. Or it can just be the folks that are uh, practicing with us, our, our friends in this group, for example. Some people are inspired just to know that there are people sitting right now, and there are a lot of people sitting right now, you know, all over the world. In fact, there are some um, monasteries where, the, for example, the Metta Sutta is chanted uh, very frequently at various monasteries around the world, and it's very likely that at a given moment somebody is chanting the Metta Sutta, wishing happiness for all beings. Isn't that cool? You can partake of that. They mean you. And so, you know, this is a nice way to, to think about being part of a, something larger. And that can be very supportive for people to know, that to feel that they're not alone in the practice, especially since this practice is sometimes challenging. We're going against the stream. We're resisting tyrants of various kinds. So, I encourage you on this time of celebrating an intention to maybe sometime tonight or sometime tomorrow uh, when it's the day of independence that we would set our own right intention resolve maybe to find complete freedom from suffering or resolve to have greater mindfulness or sit a little longer whatever feels right for you and then celebrate having a right intention that's what we're celebrating tomorrow Some of those fireworks that go off could be for your right intention. That's something to celebrate. So thank you. These are my thoughts for this evening, for for this day. Do you have any comments or questions? I love that you um, brought this talk us tonight is inspired and um, I really respect um, the Constitution and um, you've given it a lot of Oh, good. Thank you. help us set our intentions. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.